0: song before i'm your host joe hunter every week we invite a guest into the studio to examine a song from the great american songbook and this week in studio we have returning to the studio our good friend novelist tv producer and fellow radio talent he hosts green light reviews with Ann Elder, and on top of that he's a former jazz pianist worked in los angeles mr les roberts hi joe it's good to be back great to have you it's funny to sit on this side of the table in (laughs) the studio well, Les, you've chosen Oscar Hammerstein and Jerome Kearns' All the Things You Are. Why have you chosen this? One? First of all, I love Jerome Kern's music. You can name just about
1: anything he's written, and there's stuff in it, if you listen carefully, that is so inventive and creative. I particularly loved this song, not only for the astonishing chord progressions, but because the lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II are so beautiful. It's like sitting down and reading poetry. So I just love this song
0: a little later, we actually are going to ask you to read the lyrics, because I think they're one of the few lyrics to a popular American song that stand as a piece of poetry. Definitely. Well, just a little background on this tune, All the Things You Are. As you've mentioned, the lyrics are by Oscar Hammerstein, music by Jerome Kern. Of course, Kern was one of the granddaddies of the American song, a guy who had huge impact on people like George Gershwin and Cole Porter. He was really one of the first great composers of
1: American musical theater. And I think his first huge it changed the face of American theater, and that is, of course, Showboat. Oh, of course, absolutely.
0: This song actually came from a less noteworthy show. This came from a 1939 musical called Very warm for May, and uh, apparently this was not very well received by the public. (laughs) Let's be frank, it was a dog. (laughs) It was really a bomb. The reviews were so bad for this musical that on the second night, there were less than 20 people in the audience. Wow. But this song emerged from it, and what a great, great standard this is. First recorded by Tommy Dorsey with Jack Leonard doing the vocals, and I think it spent something like 10 weeks on the hit parade. But I thought we would start with a version by one of my favorite jazz singers, Mildred Bailey, of course, who was married to Red Norvo, and during the 1930s, they were known as Mr. and Mrs. Swing. They had a tremendous band, and I thought we would start with a Mildred Bailey version of this classic American song. So why don't we jump into this? I look forward to hearing it. This is Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's classic song, All the things you are.
2: You are the promised kiss of springtime that makes the lonely winter seem long. You. breathless hush of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song You are the angel glow that lights a star The dearest things I know are what you are Some arms will hold you and someday I'll know that moment divine when all the things you are are mine That light's a star the dearest things i know are what you are someday my happy arms will hold you and someday i'll know that moment divine when the things you are, are mine.
0: And that was Mildred Bailey, singing our featured song today, "All the Things You Are."
1: You know, she approached that song with such honesty. She was one of those singers who never did the things that Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey
0: do today.
1: And I love hearing that kind of pure, innocent voice approaching that song in such a very, very honest and truthful way.
0: Yeah, those were the words I was looking for. There's not only a tenderness to her singing, but an innocence. I just find her so very charming. She really just is a lovely vocalist. She was wonderful. Yes. And, you know, surprisingly, Kern was actually surprised at the popularity of this song. He had concerns that it was going to be too complicated because of some of the key changes that this song goes through. Well,
1: you know, I'm sure that he did feel that way because when I first heard it and certainly when I first started playing it and singing it, I looked at it and I thought, this is impossible, I can't do this. (laughs) And the more I worked on it, the more amazed I was at the way he put the chords together. And they're so very, very right. You know, a lot of times jazz players, all the time actually, jazz players, as you know, take the chord structure and they mess with it. There's not much you can do with this because he messes with it himself as he wrote it. That's one of the things that excites me so much about this song.
0: I thought we would continue with another great vocal rendition, this by Anne Hampton Calloway. This is interesting because she sings the verse, we're finally going to hear the verse to the song, and she approaches it both as a straight vocal tune, but she also improvises like a jazz musician. She takes a whole full chorus of scat singing on this.
1: It's quite amazing, and the other amazing thing about it is, you know, back in those days, in the 30s and the 40s, when you wrote a song, you always wrote a verse. Frequently, it was forgotten. Or never performed. And I think I had been doing this tune for several years before I finally stumbled across the verse. And I thought, this fits so well with the chorus. The lyrics are just so amazing. I love the fact that Anne is going to do them for us now.
0: And before we listen to Ann Hampton Calloway sing this song, Les, I'd actually like to ask you to read the lyrics to the chorus of this song because I don't think people really get a chance to hear them just spoken because they really are such a beautiful piece of poetry.
1: The reason I like them so much is it's telling a story. And if you listen to the lyrics, you'll understand what this whole thing is about.
0: I mean, this is no moon in June. This is real Not poetic imagery. here.
1: It's tremendous.
0: So if you would be so kind, Les, sure. would you read us the chorus?
1: You are the promise kiss of springtime that makes the lonely winter seem long. You are the breathless hush of evening that trembles on the brink of a lovely song. You are the angel glow that lights a star. The dearest things I know are what you are. Someday my happy arms will hold you, and someday I'll know that moment divine when all the things you are are mine. That's great. The breathless hush of evening, think about that. Wow, what an
0: astonishing lyric. And I like that story about Charlie Parker, the great jazz alto saxophonist, quoted as saying, this song had his favorite lyric, and he used to refer to this song as Yatag, which is an acronym for the lines, you are the angel glow. (laughs) (laughs) I like that story. You know,
1: when you listen to Bird without lyrics, he told the story, too.
0: Oh, yeah, and all those great jazz players were well aware of the lyrics. Why don't we listen to this great Anne Hampton Calloway version? The musical director on this particular record was Mike Renzi, the phenomenal pianist, uh, Ranger worked with Mel Torme for years. This is Anne Hampton Calloway singing our featured song today on I've Heard That Song Before. This is Jerome Kearns and Oscar Hammerstein's All the Things You Are.
3: thing to make my heart beat the faster What did I long for
1: She started the verse so beautifully and delicately and then she started to swing a little bit and a little bit more and now she's really rocking.
0: That's wild. Yeah, she sure was having a lot of fun. That, of course, that was Anne Hampton Calloway doing Jerome Kern's All the Things You Are. And Les, as you said, she started out very straight. I mean, that arrangement really started very straight and most classical sounding. That yep. She had almost a very classically trained quality to her voice as she sang the verse. But by the end there, it was a full-blown jazz performance.
1: Oh, it sure was. And you know, the other thing, listening to a trio like that, That's the group that really makes a song stand out. You know, a great trio or even just a piano player and a great singer. That's a lovely recording.
0: Yeah, and we mentioned earlier that the pianist on that who also did the arrangement, Mike Renzi, great, great playing behind. And and also, I love the sort of shout chorus, the unison line that he played with the bassist after she sang it. Oh, yeah. I liked that a lot. It was awful. That's nice. one
1: of those things where I wanted to applaud, you know, after <laughs> they did their chorus.
0: Yeah, that was really something. And I have to admit, I'm not a big scat fan. You know, there's a few singers that I enjoy listening to but in general, I'm not a big fan of scat singing. For the most part, I'm not either. I loved, of course, Ella, and I loved Mel Torme. Torme, Sarah Vaughan, there are a handful that I do enjoy. But that song particularly, I mean, I think she's definitely demonstrated her musicianship. Oh, yes. As we've been commenting about this song, it's very challenging harmonically. Without getting too in-depth, I mean, this song, one of the reasons jazz musicians like it so much is that it has some very specific challenges harmonically. We're going through several different key centers, and as you know, jazz players like those kind of harmonic challenges. Absolutely. When she was scatting, there
1: was one point there where I thought, how is she going to get back? Because <laughs> <You know, laughs> She just wandered way off, but she wasn't so far off that she couldn't just slip right back into that wonderful chord structure.
0: Well, and as we've been mentioning a lot, jazz musicians have been recording and playing the song for 50, 60 years. You know, Charlie Parker recorded it as Bird of Paradise. Kenny Durham recorded it. I mean, it's just been a real favorite of jazz musicians. Plus, I assume your experience was like mine as a beginning jazz pianist. This was a song that really had to be conquered. It was a hurdle. (laughs) You had to learn this song. Yeah, you did. It was a challenging song. It took me a while to memorize it. I remember that. It was the song that the older musicians played. So if you were coming up, you had to learn this song. This was one of the real tests. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: And of course, I also sang. I was not a great singer,
0: but you know, you
1: kind of did it and I could never really hit some of those high notes, so I fooled around with them. But yeah, I did have to learn, and this was not one of those things that, you know, even a guy who plays mostly by ear like I do, this was not the kind of tune you can just sit down and knock it off like that. You really had to think about it and approach it from different angles.
0: Even though it is a traditional 32-bar form, but it doesn't feel that way, does it?
1: It doesn't feel that way at all. And if you look at the lyrics, It's short. You know, there's not a lot of words in there, but each one is like a diamond, and you have to give it the proper value and the proper emphasis.
0: So we're going to listen to a version by two outstanding jazz instrumentalists, the pianist Bill Sharlop and bassist Michael Moore. This is a duet record they made. A couple things I'll point out, they're going to start out on the middle section, section we call the bridge, and you're going to hear Michael Moore do something that only a few jazz bassists do well, and that is to use the bow, or arcos we would call that. Michael does start this piece on the middle section using the bow on the acoustic bass. And then, of course, we'll hear some beautiful solos by Bill Charlop and Michael Moore. This is, again, an instrumental version of our featured tune today, Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's. This is pianist Bill Charlop and bassist Michael Moore on I've Heard That Song Before.
1: That's great. Yeah. That was absolutely astonishing.
0: And that was Bill Sharlop on the piano and Michael Moore on the bass recorded live doing our featured song, Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's All the Things You Are.
1: They played with it so much, but they never varied from that chord structure. Not one time. I listened very, very carefully. They were within what... Jerome Kern had written, just took it all sorts of places, but never left that chord structure.
0: Oh, you know, wonderful solo on both their parts. And as we mentioned before, you don't hear that bow used on an acoustic bass that well That's right, <laughs> by jazz guys. I also like the fact that at the end, Bill did a very brief homage to the famous Charlie Parker version. For all you jazz folks out there, there's a very famous introduction to this song that was recorded by Bird, And it's pretty much become a standard when you hear jazz musicians Play this song there's a little introduction and Bill just sort of hinted at it there at the end that was kind of fun. He sure did. It's Very cute and as we mentioned earlier I like the playful quality to Charlotte's playing. Really. Yeah it's
1: fun to listen to as beautiful and as tender and as delicate as this song is it is a jazz tune and you can play with it and have a great time with it even as you respect it.
0: Well said. Well we've gone several different directions with this song today and we're gonna really go someplace different. This was really a surprise to me. I had no idea that this artist recorded this song. They are not two things I would really connect with one another. No, we're (laughs) not
1: talking Frank Sinatra who recorded it. We're not talking Joe Stafford. We're not talking Mario Lanza
0: even. No, no, this is quite a change. This comes from a 1973 album on a Motown label. The artist is Michael Jackson, who was probably about 14 or 15 at the time of this record. And this is Michael Jackson's version of the Jerome Kern classic, All the Things You Are. Take a breath, everybody. Michael Jackson singing All the Things You Are by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein. Wow. (laughs) That comes from a (laughs) 1973 record produced by Hal Davis, and that was on the Motown label. The record was Music and Me, is that correct, Les? Music and Me. Music and Me.
1: An album that has been out of print for so long that nobody remembers it anymore. You know, Michael Jackson, like him or lump him, he was an incredible entertainer. And he really tries his best on this one. I think because of the fact that he is a young teenager, he was singing lyrics that he didn't really understand. I think the trouble with this, and why I was kind of cringing at it, is he felt the music, but he didn't feel the meaning of the song. I think I would
0: agree. Interesting to note, I mean, in today's culture, we have every pop singer, every soul singer is putting out records of the American Songbook. Yes. And this was many years before that. But of course, a lot of the artists on Motown were doing songs from the American Songbook. That's right. The Supremes, The Four Tops, Marvin Gaye, all of them had very successful shows in some of the big rooms in Vegas. Copacabana and stuff like that. Oh, they sure did. They were incorporating standards in their repertoire. They were also creating standards back then, too. Absolutely. Well, we've had a lot of fun today listening to various renditions of the Kern-Hammerstein composition, All the Things You Are. We're going to finish up with our traditional bonus tune, and this is also a very, very well-known Jerome Kern standard this entitled, The Way You Look Tonight, and he wrote this one with great lyricist Dorothy Fields. Yes. I think you said you, you were particularly fond of these lyrics as well, aren't you?
1: Yes. Again, they're so romantic and so sincere. This guy who is singing, supposedly, is thinking that this woman is so special to him. And when he's low, when the world is cold, I will feel a glow just thinking of you and the way you look tonight. What a marvelous declaration of love.
0: That's yeah, a wonderful lyric. And, of course, Sinatra had that wonderful, very well-known recording of it. That's right. And we're going to hear an instrumental version of it performed by one of the great jazz pianists of the last 60 years, and I'm talking about Errol Garner.
1: When I was a kid... Joe, and I listened to Errol Garner, I thought, yeah, I want to do that. And that's how I learned to play jazz. I wish I were 150th as good as he is, but I tried.
0: Well, you know, and he really was one of the most popular jazz pianists. I mean, he had an incredibly successful career, and his audience transcended hardcore jazz audience.
1: Oh, yeah. And also, if you listen, the best left hand I've ever heard.
0: What nobody can do what he does in his left hand, and for all you Errol Garner fans out there, you know what we're speaking of. He has an ability to do basically this rhythmic pulse in his left hand It sounds like a rhythm guitar. He does four beats per measure, and you'll just hear this boom, 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 boom. He does it like nobody else. He's his own rhythm guitarist. (laughs) You're right. So why don't we listen to Errol Garner doing this wonderful Jerome Kern and Dorothy Fields composition, The Way You Look Tonight.
1: left hand that's amazing who can do that i
0: performing Jerome Kern and Dorothy Fields' classic song, The Way You Look Tonight.
1: If anybody out there is not familiar with Errol Garner, he was a self-taught piano player. He didn't read music. No, he didn't.
0: And that performance, we were talking about the warmth and the charm of the lyric to this song, and that performance, Even without hearing the lyric, I still feel that warmth and that charm. He really captured that. He really
1: knew how to play a love song.
0: Yeah, and brought that, oh, just again, a warmth and a charm to it. And of course, it's swinging like crazy. Oh, yeah. And that comes from a Columbia release entitled Body and Soul. Well, Les, we really explored a lot of different areas with our featured song today, Kern's All the Things You Are. We sure did. And what a contrast we've had, too, from Anne Hampton Calloway to Michael Jackson. That was quite a
1: contrast, and
0: again, I'm not a big Michael
1: Jackson fan, but I did enjoy hearing him when he was very, very young and very much more a pure musician than he is as he's gotten older. I particularly enjoyed the Mildred Bailey version at the beginning, because I think for everybody listening today, that. That's the way the song was written pretty much, and she sang it pretty straight ahead. And then everybody else did their diversions on that song, and it was wonderful to listen to. But again, because I love the chord structure so much, I think all these different versions of a song teach you about the song and about the way Jerome Kern really knew how to put a melody together
0: and, as we've been commenting, knew how to harmonize a melody. Short, oh, yes. Because we heard a wonderful instrumental version by two of the finest jazz musicians out there, Bill Charlotte and Michael Moore. To hear some first-rate jazz musicians get their hands on those chord changes was a lot of fun as well. Oh, yeah.
1: There are so many other recordings. I wish we could sit here for about six hours and play all of them because I think all of them had something going for them. Alan Jones, Jack Jones's father, did the song back in 1949. Mario Lanza did a song in 1950. when he was a big movie star, Tony Martin. Remember the Tony Martin (laughs) Midnight Blue Tuxedo that he wore in 1946? There have been so many of them, and
0: they're all good. Well, Les, I hope you'll come back and join us again here at uh, I've Heard That Song Before. Anytime. Yeah, it's really been a lot of fun today with our guest Les Roberts. I had a ball, Joe. Ask me back anytime. You got it. Well, you've been listening to I've Heard That Song Before. I'm your host, Joe Hunter, and we'll see you next week. I've Heard That Song Before is a production of the Front Porch People. Listen to more great conversations at thefrontporchpeople.com.
1: Thank you for listening. Whoa! Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz and I'm Flynn McLean. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour
0: right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking
1: a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our biweekly episodes. We've also been recently
0: joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist. Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's magazine founder, Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan.
1: If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Numbut
0: the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further <laughs> on up the road.
4: Thank
3: you so much! We'll be seeing you!